You're listening to Office Politics, brought to you by BYOB Revolt. Welcome to the debut episode of Office Politics, y'all! I am so excited you are here. I am Jasmine Reed Clark, and I am a writer, career coach, and now a podcast host. Um, and Office Politics is a candid conversation among professionals where we talk about all things failure, faking it, and finding yourself along the way. Now, I have a lot of exciting guests uh, for this season, but I knew I wanted to make my big debut with someone who has been a part of my journey from the very beginning. I am humbled, I am excited, and I am honored to introduce you all to one of my closest friends, Kristen Tucker. Now, yes, she is like a sister to me, but she is also a bomb-ass and accomplished writer. Her scripts have been all over Austin Film Festival, Warner Brothers, NBC, and Showtime. She even made her small screen debut with Disney with Dog, Dog with the Blog. And recently, she just wrapped a project with Netflix and Heartbeat Productions. That's Kevin Hart, y'all. And as well as uh, just wrapping a project with Joe Coy's This Functional Family. And at the very end of it all, right now, she is currently a staff writer on HBO's groundbreaking Black Lady Sketch Show. I don't know why she hangs out with me either, but we're about to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, I welcome Kristen Tucker. Hey, hey, hey. All right, we are back. So we just read Kristen's business card. Clearly, she is the definition of Black excellence. She is one of my favorite people, and I cannot believe that I even get to be friends with you, quite honestly. (laughs) But speaking of that friendship, Kristen, why don't we take our listeners all the way back? Oh, Yes. How uh, how do we know each other? How did mm. this friendship form? Oh, man. Uh, it all began with a certain retail headquarters located just outside Dallas. I don't know if we're allowed to say it. Let's call it M.D. Nichols. <laughs> Ma'am, I was, <laughs> was going to be like, I hope she throws a, a nickel out there. <laughs> <laughs> I was working there. Jasmine came as a contractor, right? You started as a contractor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were like one aisle over from me. And I remember hearing that you were coming and being like, who is this? Who are they bringing in here now? And then, and then you came bounding down the aisle one day, all extra bubbly, like you are. And I was like, oh, a brown girl. Okay, okay, okay. Let's see how this yes. goes. <laughs> you even asked me out to lunch and I was so excited. I did. No, I will say that Jasmine's energy was always magnetic for me, which is saying a lot because I don't like most people. Just girl. Be told. Like I care about humanity, but yes. on an individual basis, <laughs> most people... You- you don't even have exclamation points in your texts. You be hitting me with that happy birthday 
period. <laughs> Love you. Listen. Period. That's because I want you to get the balloons. And my if I give you an exclamation point, you will get the balloons. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, she's also strategic. <laughs> <laughs> but I really don't. I really don't do exclamation points. I feel like they're so overused and it doesn't fit my personality. You know what? It doesn't. I think if you started hitting me with those emojis at this point, I'd be like, are you okay? <laughs> What's are you sick? <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you, your first memory of me is galloping <laughs> down the halls of M.T. Nickel. <laughs> I think that's what we're calling it. And my favorite story, which Kristen has heard a thousand times, but we were both copywriters. Um, Kristen was much more seasoned. She was, I don't know if your title was senior copywriter, but you it were definitely. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> but you were definitely the HBIC of mm. our copywriting staff. Mm. Okay. And so I go down to our first meeting and or what would what were those meetings called with all the clothes? Yeah, man, I blocked that out. <laughs> I don't well, even let me, remember. Let me let me help you out. Um it was basically you would go downstairs and take notes on the clothing because you would have to go back upstairs and write product copy and so we had Which, a manager by the way you're writing like polyester <laughs> uh scoop neck cold <laughs> shoulder <laughs> belted <laughs> don't get too crazy now belted at md nickel mm. it was a polyester blend belt <laughs> that matched with the polyester let's keep it keep it real and so we both had this manager, Susan. It's my first week. And Susan goes, oh, um, you can ask Kristen if you have any questions. And I'm like, okay. So I'm looking around. And, you know, as I'm scanning the room, I see this gazette. Is that the word? Or is it a gazelle? gazelle? <laughs> She's Did done I a mention- small magazine. <laughs> Did I mention I'm a writer with an extensive vocabulary? I looked like a newspaper, y'all. That's what you said. I was flat. Black, white, and red all over. A gazette. Oh, man. That's priceless. For those of you who are still listening, you were a gazelle. Gorgeous. Like, tall and slender and beautiful and... I was like, wow, I cannot believe we just have models walking around the office. This is so glamorous. And um, (laughs) Susan, I go, hey, I have a few questions. She's like, well, I told you, go ask Kristen. And I go, yeah, where's Kristen? And then she, she points in your direction. And I go, yeah, that's like a model. Like, is she behind the model? And Susan uh, starts cackling. She's like, that's not a model. That's Kristen. That's not an MD Nichols model. <laughs> She's just a copywriter. What are you talking about? And so I was like, holy shit, that girl is beautiful and talented and she's clearly the the head copywriter on the team so i was not truthfully i thought you wouldn't want anything to do with my raggedy behind but i am so glad grateful that you asked me to go to campesi's and oh yes we went to mm-hmm. campesi's for lunch yes. totally forgot about that and do you remember uh one of our main topics that lunch period mm 
romance or lack thereof. Ding, ding, ding. That would be the <laughs> correct answer, Alex. It is the perfect bonding point for so many women. And we were both hella single, hella single. I think you had just gotten out of a relationship with If you want to call it that. Him. Yeah, I would call it that. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, like you said, it is one of the things that absolutely bonds most women. And it is crazy to think we are now in two very different places in mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. So... When we did find each other five years ago, clearly we were both working as copywriters. As our listeners now know, you have had tremendous success over the course of your career, but primarily even within, I think, the last few years have been, would you call it a glow-up season? Oh, don't hate me, but I can't. I don't know what you just said. Oh, wait. Okay. We're going to take it back. Only because it's so going in had, and out. You've had tremendous success over the course of your entire career. But I would say you've had a lot of success in the last three or four years. Would you call it a glow up season? <laughs> I mean, I love the term, but I'm always so quick to shortchange myself and be like, no, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. This is not this is not glow up yet, but. I sh- I'm Issa trying Rae, to be better. Ma'am, Issa Rae knows your name. Like, you know I Issa mean, Rae. I, listen, we've had an awkward hug. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means to her. She's probably had a lot of them. But um, I have had the fortune, the great fortune of working on a show that she executive produces. So, ha- I mean, I, yeah, yeah. You know what? That That is a glow up. That's glow up territory. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Let's own that. Let's receive that energy today. Own it. Yes. And one thing that I love about your story, there's so many chapters that I think are incredible. You inspire me in so many ways. But one thing that I think is so beautiful about your journey is that you were able to take something that was painful and you let it fuel you. And not to say it didn't, you didn't have hard days and not to say that it didn't come without heartache and, you know, I might even say a season of depression, Mm -hmm. but you are the definition of resilience. Um, And while I would love to tell your story, I know um, (laughs) a storyteller should tell their own. So would you share what really prompted you to move to LA and, and go after everything that was already yours? So... I'd done it before. Let's just say that. I'd mm-hmm. been I'd lived there before and I'd just gotten really frustrated by I'd had successes, but it wasn't enough for me. And entertainment in general can be very discouraging. And I got to a point where I was discouraged and things weren't happening fast enough. And I had a job that I just wasn't crazy about. And I forgot why I came out there in the first place. So I was like, let me, let me go home. Let me go to Texas. Let me remember why I like writing, blah, blah, blah. So I, I went back to Texas and would still go out to LA and have meetings and things like that. 
but I was still struggling. And I thought maybe I should just do something that's less painful and that is more accessible and that I know I can do and nobody can take away from me. So I tried to do that. Uh, MD Nichols was part of that and other, uh, you know, other jobs where I got to write, but wasn't necessarily writing in the way that I had dreamt about. So anyway, I'm writing, I'm trying to, to just live a normal life. I'm like, okay, I'll, maybe I'll meet someone. We can buy a house, which can't happen in California. Like maybe I can have all the trappings of life that you want as an adult that are a little bit harder to get out there. So I did end up meeting someone and we dated for two years. We ended up moving in together. And then two days before my birthday, he came home. This was six months into living together. Two days before my birthday, he came home and he was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do this. And it was like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, you don't like bugs and you don't have, you don't like ceiling fans and, um, you don't like boats and you don't like having the windows open at night. I'm like, are these real complaints? Like (laughs) he wanted Annie, get your gun. Like, I don't know. Also, I, I, I have never seen that movie. It could be a book. Right? I, but I'm like, this sounds like you want Dick Sporting Goods. You don't want an actual human girlfriend because... the LOL of it all is, sir, is that not what the first like month of dating is right. for? To figure this out not brand have new. similar interests? This is not brand new. No. So anyway, find out months later that he was still talking to his quote-unquote ex. So that wasn't the full story. But at the time, that was a story he gave me. And it was very devastating. I had not had a... I hadn't had a successful adult relationship. And, you know, I was already past 30. And it was like... I felt like I was finally getting that thing. And then that thing abruptly ended. And... Not only did it end, but it ended with someone I was living with. So now I have to move out. I have to get all my stuff. I have like it's a whole change of life. Um, and it was it was heartbreaking. Also, because I love my birthday, and how dare you? How dare you? Come we should know before editor's note. Uh, we are both Aries. <laughs> we are one day apart, and we are both only children. So oh, I'll let honey. you do the math there. My birthday starts March 31st at like 11.59 p.m. It does not end until May 1st. So don't, please, don't come at me with any breakup stuff in my birthday month. But he did. Thank you. And he had the audacity to do it even in your birthday week. Yes. Yes. Like, I'm sniffing my birthday. Like, I'm trying to figure out where you're taking me in two nights. And you're talking about this isn't going to (laughs) work. And the thing And now I actually, I'm just realizing it as we're talking, and now that I'm a little bit more grown, it is extra screwed up that he made it seem as though you weren't the right puzzle piece. Mm -hmm. He couldn't even say, hey, am I surprised that he didn't cop to cheating? Absolutely not. 
but you would still think there could be something he could have put on himself. But right. instead, even in the made-up narrative, right. he's still the victim and you were the victor. Right. And I'm just realizing how screwed up that was. It was. And it was it was hard to watch somebody that you love. It was like a, as soon as he said it, then a switch flipped and he it was like he shut down. And his eyes were different and I couldn't, it was like that person that was just there was no longer there. Mm -hmm. And that person couldn't even look at me the same, couldn't even look at me with caring eyes, could not communicate with me. It was just, it was cold and it was hurtful. And so anyway, uh, <laughs> despite all that, he was like, but we can stay here together and you can keep splitting this rent with me. And I'm <laughs> like, no, boo, no. <laughs> Guess we what? can keep going Dutch on this uh, this townhouse, right? <laughs> Guess no. what? No, that's crazy. So uh, I moved out promptly, and um, but I, I do remember that first night when everything happened, and I was it was probably three a.m. at that point, and I was on a work night, no less, and I was laying on the couch crying. So hurt, but there was this little thing that I didn't understand fully at the time. This little, 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 little tiny part inside that exhaled. And in retrospect, initially I thought, mm, that's the part of me that said, I know this person could never love me like I deserve to be loved. And thank God I'm free now to find someone who does. I, but now I also think that voice was saying, thank you that I'm free to finally realize everything that I have been missing, everything, not just love, but everything that I've been trying to give up or that I have pretended to give up mm -hmm. in to sacrifice for this person, this thing, this relationship, this life, that was not, that was not going to allow me to be the full me, the, even the me that I've become in the past three years. And that it was just so weird. Cause that exhale was like, it was me, but it was also somebody else. And it was, it was so clear that it happened, but it also scared me. Cause I was like, what is that about? What, what, what is that? What is that little, feeling of relief. Uh, but now I see what she knew that I didn't even know. That is so profound. And that is a feeling most people cannot articulate. That feeling of relief, I would call it women's intuition. But to even take it a little bit further, how many of us, I know I have, have tried to fit our own narrative and our own life into somebody else's. And going back to, you know, you were like, okay, maybe I can do that cookie cutter life. You know, I'll get a house. I'll get, you know, mm -hmm. a steady man. Even though there is a part of you that has more of a wild spirit and you know you wouldn't be honoring that spirit, but mm -hmm. you think, but hey, isn't this what everyone else is doing? Aren't I supposed right. to want this? Does it mean something right. deeper if I don't want this? It reminds me a lot of a relationship I was in when 
I felt I had to play a more submissive role. And you know me, I'm more of a firecracker. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's, but I really thought to find a good man um, with core values and, you know, a background and faith, then I need to play a certain role. And then after a while, I'm like, oof. I am not having fun playing this 1950s housewife <laughs> role. Um, and then thankfully, I just, I I had that same moment of what the hell am I doing once I broke free from a casual fling I was in. Um, but And I think for me, it was also like, you can't have both. Which one do you mm-hmm. want? Do you want this or do you want that? And in my mind, I'd been like, okay, well, that has been so elusive, that being the career has been so elusive that maybe I'll just take this and and this will bring me joy and happiness and it will help me forget about the other thing that I haven't been able to get. Um, But part of me knew better. Do you think, is there a part of you that ever thinks how different your life would look if you had continued down that path? Mm. Not to say um, you wouldn't be happy, but it's very uh, overwhelming, the contrast mm-hmm. of the idea of you being with this person, perhaps with a child in the suburbs, mm-hmm. versus you being among the elite of Black entertainment and truly writing and working on projects that, when I say are changing people's lives, that's not that's not smoking your in your behind. That is the reason I have a photo of Issa Rae is in my home. Is that a real thing? <laughs> okay, so you were you were editing. Okay, I get it. Smoke up your yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Add that with Gazette. Okay, we'll just have my own vocabulary soon. But the the reason I have photos of Issa Rae framed is because she writes the stories that I didn't have growing up, and. It is, again, it's just overwhelming to think about the two different universes that you're living in now versus what you perhaps could have been living in. Do you ever let your imagination go there? For sure. I have thought about it. And I don't, I don't know if I, if I would be doing this had that, had that relationship not ended. I do remember, and I've seen in my journal one night, um, I wrote, this was probably right after we moved in together. And I, I remember writing that I wanted to be able to have this relationship and have it grow. But I also wanted to be able to pursue writing um, and have the career that I always wanted. And... So I think I trust that if the universe had, if that had been in my best interest, then the universe would have honored that request because I made it. And that's what I'd asked for. But clearly it was like, "Mm, I see a request and (laughs) I'm going to deny part of it. Deny. (laughs) (laughs) You can have this part and you just got to trust me. Um, So I... I guess, I guess I don't, I guess I don't think it could have happened because it was very much part of my, they were both part of my goal and my focus, but 
we see we see where one ended and and what's happening with the other one, right? So yes, thriving is the word. Thriving. You were doing. You as you were talking, I was thinking about a conversation that I think many women have, um, which is having it all. Mm. And I will just go ahead and show my hand first. I do think you can have it all. I'm not sure you can have it all at once. Um, And I don't say that to be pessimistic. More so, I think you just have to make priorities and follow it accordingly. Um, You know, there was a time when you know this firsthand, it was so much harder to get a hold of me. And it wasn't because my love for the people in my life was absent or was fleeting. It was... I was trying to give 100% to work and 100% to my marriage and 100% to this promotion. And I now realize it is okay to trim that list down <laughs> and to just pour into that, you know, that that smaller list. Can I just interject a story right there? Because I oh remember asking you to come to bar with me to, my, <laughs> to one of my bar classes. And you were like, yes, I'd love to. Let's do it. This was planned a few weeks in advance. And then that morning you came, but you already looked so tired. And I was like, (laughs) what happened? And you were like, well, I also told my husband that I would work out with him (laughs) in the morning. So I've already had a full workout and now I'm about to have another one. And I'm like, girl, (laughs) you are not. And this is not. Listen. Jasmine is wonderful, but Jasmine is not the type who does mm-hmm. two workouts in a day. No, ma'am. <laughs> regular no, ma'am. I was like, she's about to pass out here. Just try to, just try to be everything to everybody with <sighs> dual workouts. No. Please make sure you tell that story at my funeral, just so people remember how selfless I was <laughs> on this earth. But exactly. Ex- like, that's the perfect example of where my my life was at for a solid two years, if not longer. And to kind of, like, backtrack it a little bit, I remember wondering if I could have a successful career in writing, writing about what I wanted to write about, and being emotional and vulnerable, and having a significant other who was not only going to be okay with that, but support it, encourage it, and not try to stifle me as a creative. Because you and I, we do not shy away from those hard topics like mental health and racism and social issues and everything else that could fall on that tree. Is that a conversation or have you ever had that inner monologue with yourself? Because I will say um, it. My favorite thing about Jordan is is his loyalty, but also I love that he never tells me to like filter mm-hmm. myself. And I have dated people who were like, uh, can you kind of cool it on like mm-hmm. the mental health articles? Mm-hmm. So I would love to know your inner monologue when it comes to dating and being an artist. Mm. That's great. I, I have actually been in situations where I felt like I could not completely be myself, whether that was and whether that was admitting that I like listening to things about the law of attraction or whether that is me um how can I say this? You know, there <laughs> there are ways you can 
speak one way sometimes and then sometimes you can speak another way because the situation calls for it. and it's just naturally natural and it flows and sometimes uh someone cannot understand that or call attention to it and you're not even aware that it, there's anything wrong with it because it's just it's you it's natural it's your life it's what you've always done but then you point it out to me and you make me feel like wait, there's some, is there something wrong with me? And it's like, no, like, I don't want the person that is supposed to be the one that I can be most vulnerable, vulnerable with should not be calling me out for a part of who I am. And so I think now I am certainly more aware of my intolerance for that mm. and that I n- anyone who's in my life, whether it's romantically or just as a friend should, I should feel comfortable with completely. I should just be able to be myself, whatever that means. Um, talk about the things that interest me or talk about things that upset me or whatever, and not feel, not feel judged in any way. Uh, cause I have been, and I brushed it off. And mm-hmm. in hindsight, I realized I shouldn't have done it, but I think I was just so surprised at the time that I didn't say anything, that I didn't stand up for myself, you know? And I know a little bit later, I'm going to chat about race relations. <laughs> um, and just that definitely rings a few bells. Um, but I love what you said about just being comfortable and I can't speak for you, but I think most of us have been there and we don't say anything. I know for me, it's security. It's thinking if I call this person out, are they going to leave me? Mm-hmm. And through therapy, thankfully, I am finally having a tighter grasp on the reality that if they are going to leave you because you stood up for yourself, they were never with you. Mm-hmm. So let them go. Bye-bye, birdie. (laughs) Figuring that out. Right. And, you know, sometimes having something – I was about to go with a different metaphor, but you know what? Let's just just move on because it was (laughs) – it dealt with engineering and and (laughs) carpentry and – what? <laughs> yeah. Where did you yeah, no. But I love that you just brought up law of attraction. I love talking spirituality with you. You know, I've been getting more into astrology this quarantine mm-hmm. and finally figuring out the houses and what they yes. all mean. And rising sign and yes. moon sign. Yes. And, yes. All the things. All the things. So I would love to know, because I know we are both into manifestation, what are the things you are manifesting in your life right now? Oh, I just manifested two tacos for lunch and <laughs> they were delicious. Um, uh, what am I, you know, I am trying to manifest a lot of things, but I will say just generally speaking, I kind of, sh- I was into it and then I got away from it for a long time. The idea of law of attraction just because I felt like everybody else gets it, but I 
it like sometimes kind of works, but also doesn't. Um, but I realized that oh, trying to, how can I say this without going into a 20 minute thing? Um, one, I realized it's always working. And mm -hmm. for example, I just spoke at commencement at my high school. And this was something that I had dreamt about in seventh grade. Like I remember sitting there cause they made us go every year, fifth through 12th, fifth through 11th grade. We all had to go. And I remember sitting out there in the heat watching these graduations, but being like, man, it'd be so great one day to be successful and come back, have this, have my school ask me to come speak and to be able to stand up there and speak in front of everybody and, you know, tell funny stories, whatever. And, you know, I'm thir I was 13 or 12 or whatever at the time. And for that to have happened this year, clearly it works. It takes its time. Like it works and it, it works when it's supposed to work. Like given everything that's happened this year, would I have chosen this year to be the speaker? No. But was it perfect that me as a Black woman was standing up there in front of this conservative, predominantly white crowd at this all-girls school in 2020, given everything that's happened in the world? Yes, it was the place that I needed to be to say what I needed to say so that everyone could hear it. And I, I didn't know that, but the universe knew that. And so it knew what it knew what the invitation was before I even knew what the invitation was. Cause in February I was like, Oh yeah, I'll get up there. I'll say some funny stuff. Everybody will be like, <laughs> it'll be great. <laughs> then March rolled around, April rolled around, and I'm like, oh God, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. May rolls around, George Floyd's murdered. I'm like, I really don't have anything to say. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. And whatever. I did it and I I believe that it went as well as it could have gone. And I believe that the things that I said were taken to heart by people. Um, I was sitting at home watching it. And so for everyone, you said everything. It didn't matter what age you were, what race you were. Everything you said was perfect. I cried. And oh. it was beautiful. Thank you. And you are going, again, going back to you and I, we didn't we don't we didn't have the privilege of seeing ourselves on television or on stages, not in the frequency it is now. And not to say now is it's popping. We still have a lot to do. <laughs> right. But I know somebody saw you on that stage and thought, oh, if she can do it, I can do it. And if she can come back and be funny and poised and successful, I can I can make it through this crap of a year so there was one graduating senior who found me on instagram and she emailed me and she said she'd been there for 14 or 15 years my school starts at pre-k or 
now they might have a class before pre-K, whatever. You can go there your entire life, essentially. It's a fancy and she, school. she said that her whole time there, that graduation day and the things that I said were, was the time that she felt the most seen in her 14 or 15 years at that school. And that meant the world to me. That was like, man, if nothing else, if I helped somebody feel seen today that never felt seen before, that means so much. And I'm so grateful to have that opportunity. And I couldn't have had that necessarily in 2019 or 2018 or 2021 because I wouldn't have said the same things necessarily, right? So I manifested this and it was what it was and it was perfect as it was. Um, But I have learned, back to what I was saying, that I think another level of healing, just energetic healing in general, through doing that, I learned that there was a part of me that just... uh, that just had a hard time really getting over that hump of complete belief in myself because of things that I'd experienced growing up and because I didn't realize my self-worth. No matter how many books I'd read and all the things, there was just this part still that was lacking. And until I healed that, fixed that, had that, moved or whatever you want to call it, then that's why there was sort of a disconnect between what I wanted and what what I wanted to manifest, manifest and what I was actually manifesting because I wasn't completely convinced that I could have these things. And I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't feel that, that joy that everybody talks about that you have to feel. Um, it was just always like, I, intellectually I knew about it and I knew I should, and I knew what it was, but to get there emotionally was always just really hard. I'm like, what is that like where you just feel joy for no real reason? (laughs) Just like, just joy of what life is and what's to come. And like, what is that? What does that feel like? And now I, I think I'm starting to get it. And so I feel a little bit more confident in the idea of manifestation in general, if that makes sense. That makes absolute sense. Sometimes we even have to heal with our own beliefs. So yeah, that Mm -hmm. makes great sense. One thing I would love for us to chat about, you just touched on it, was diversity and seeing ourselves. Um, So to give listeners a little bit of a background, both Kristen and I grew up in white spaces. We're both Black women growing up in white spaces. Um, And there's a lot of parallels in our stories and both coming into our own as Black women. Um, But one thing that is really interesting to me is you know what it's like to be one or two of hundreds where everyone is white or a white guy. (laughs) And now you get to virtually sit at a desk where you are surrounded by smart, driven Black women. And not, there's none of the like, 
or to my best knowledge. It's not like everyone's, you know, trying to cut each other down behind the scenes. It's truly an uplifting atmosphere from the stories you have shared with me. I just want to sit back and hear the, what that is like, because for me, the most diverse place I have worked at, like I thought we were getting somewhere when I walked in and I saw three black girls out of like 60 <laughs> people. I'm like, oh my God, this is what it's like to work in a diverse <laughs> workplace. Oh my God. So as somebody who hasn't yet experienced that, I would just like to sit back and hear similarities, differences, and if you can even go back to your old life <laughs> now that you've experienced this. Oh, man. It has been... Uh, I didn't even know how eye-opening, life-changing, whatever you want to call it. I didn't know that it was going to be that, but it has been that. Uh, I had been, like you said, in white spaces for so long. And you're aware of what tokenism means and all that. But because you don't know anything else, you don't really know the true ramifications of it. You don't know how deep that goes or how much you're internalizing because of it. And it wasn't until I got to Black Lady Sketch Show and there it was Black women there around me, running it, writing it, starring in it, that it was just like my eyes were opened and I realized how skewed my perception of everything was because I'd always looked at the world through the lens of what is appropriate Mm -hmm. to the majority that I'm surrounded by and that majority is white. So what stories are they going to want to hear? What should I say about myself? What should I not say about myself? All these things that, that were just automatic. I didn't even realize that I was doing it. Um, and being in this space with amazing, intelligent, wonderful black women just freed me up in such a way Mm. to say, and look, we did not agree on everything. (laughs) We are not a monolith. We were, you know, we had many different opinions and backgrounds and whatever. But I knew that at the end of the day, they weren't going, if they didn't agree with something, it wasn't because I am a black woman and they don't get what I'm saying. It's because they might not like it. And that's just it. And that's fine. But I never had to explain myself. I never had to wonder, are they going to get it? I didn't have to really think about um, what perspective or what references they're using or they're coming from. And, okay, do I know, like... Wait, do I know that one? Have I seen? Is that uh, who is that for? Like, and I know a lot, but there are still things in the white majority canon that I don't necessarily know. And and you know, in a room where you're the only black person, a lot of the references are 
white movies or white films or, or things like that. And I remember the job that I had before Black Lady Sketch Show. One day I was just like, okay, y'all are talking about all these movies, but have you seen Waiting to Exhale? Have you seen Juice? Have you seen The Five Heartbeats? Like, let's talk about these things that the majority of Black people have seen at some point. Um, I've um, seen the blind side. I mean, <laughs> I imagine um, that conversation went. <laughs> so it was just, it, uh, Jasmine, I can't even, I just want everyone to experience this once. And I, I think, you know, if you've gone to an HBCU, then you probably knew a long time ago what this was like. Um, I did not have that privilege. I did go for three years. I went to an all black private school, second through fourth grade here in Dallas. And uh, even then, even then I was teased because I was coming from these white schools and they were like, Oh, why do you talk funny? Why do you live over there? Why do you live in the white part of town? Why do you eat pizza with black olives and red onions on it? What? Like, (laughs) so I went home and I was like, mom, I got to change the way I talk. I need, I got to change a lot of things. She was like, no, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. You're not changing the way you talk. And no, you may not have a Jerry girl. You need to sit down somewhere. (laughs) So these are all true stories. Um, But yeah, so even then I felt like an outsider because to them I was. But this was truly the first time in my life where I felt like, ah, yes, I belong here. My existence is in the title of this show. I have every right to be here. Imposter syndrome, yes, came into the mix, but that's my own thing that had nothing to do with me as a black woman in this, in this environment. Uh, eternally grateful for that because you said something that there is like an extra weight that we always carry with us with if we're going into a meeting and a pitch isn't accepted you're wondering was it because of x y and z or what you said about just getting references um that just just the way you can build rapport with your coworkers. it can be mm-hmm. different when you are a token in a space. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. man, that sounds so nice. Just to cut <laughs> through the bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it was a breath of fresh air. I can't even. It it really did change my life. It changed the way I look at the world. It changed what I'm willing to accept because now I know I don't have to. Now I know there are alternatives and successful alternatives and Emmy nominated alternatives. So (laughs) do what you want. Come through. (laughs) (laughs) But going back to, I think one theme of our whole chat today has been tolerance and intolerance. And for so long, and for good reason, there's been a lot of evidence as to why we have been conditioned to believe this, but we have been conditioned to believe we have to tolerate and prioritize and completely nurse white fragility at all times. That's why, you know, I'm, I, I truly cannot fathom 
your work environment. Now that I'm a full-time freelancer, I'm like, hey, like this is a, this is a nice upgrade. <laughs> my one coworker, my husband, is white. So. <laughs> <laughs> but at least he... Um, Listen, your company's 50-50. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a great demographic right there. Oh, did I tell you, we watched... Have you ever seen the movie Something New? Yes. Okay. Because I, I just wanted to watch something cheesy and romantic. So we watched that and I totally forgot the scene where she's having her housewarming party and Simon Baker's character comes up and he's like, are you guys talking about the black tax? Because <laughs> 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 she is trying to explain what it's like being a, you know, a black woman partner at this, I assume, a law firm. Oh, and right. so now it's. It's a it's a nice little inside joke, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it it the the last few years have been it's been really beautiful to witness your glow up. And one thing that I always want to make sure I'm asking people in in life, you know, not just when we're recording is you know, right now I hope there is a young woman of color listening, maybe she's in high school, maybe she just graduated, maybe she's 50 years old. Um, And she's going through something where she feels like she will always be an outcast. Uh, What message do you have for her? I would say... I would say this is so simple, but I would say that's not, it's not the case. And I have so much more hope for that than ever before, simply because I've lived it and I've lived the opposite for so long. And now I've seen, I've seen the possibilities and I, not only that, but I know, granted I'm speaking from inter- the entertainment perspective specifically, but I think this transcends that. I've seen so many more people trying to create those same spaces and give Black artists, Black writers, Black entrepreneurs, whatever, mm-hmm. the opportunity to do their thing in a place that fully supports them doing their thing. Um, and I also think that we are more empowered to create those spaces for ourselves, even if, even if we aren't joining one to make one. Um, and I, I feel like hopefully one of the things that can come out of this tumultuous year is that, is that we've had the opportunity to have enough space from the environments that maybe have been toxic or unsupportive or whatever mm-hmm. to give us the courage or the perspective to be able to say, you know what? I'm good with that. Like I, I don't need that. I can create something else. I can be somewhere else. I can do something else. Life is not, worth it if I'm someplace every day that doesn't 
that I don't feel valued or I don't feel appreciated mm-hmm. or I don't feel seen. I, yes, I don't feel seen. Exactly. As a career coach and writer, I get a lot of the same questions from my clients and my friends, which is, how did you go out on your own, become a full-time freelancer, and how can I do it too? And while I will be the first person to preach that no two journeys are the same, I do think there are some tried and true steps in order to ensure success as you go out and become your own boss. And everything I learned, I learned from the best. It's Jennifer Fitta. But I'm not alone. There's over 100,000 other people who trust her, as well as 30 institutions. I'm talking professors, y'all. Like, people with doctorates. So... You know that I'm in good company and in good hands. If you want to learn some tactics and strategies or you just want to understand how the hell business works, but you don't feel like getting an MBA, which, by the way, you don't need one of those to be successful, despite what some people in industries will tell you then great. Head on over to byobrevolt.com. There, it's an educational platform. There's an online community. You can even pick up her book with the same name, Be Your Own Boss. There's a shop. That's where I get my no five-year plan shirt that a lot of you guys love on Instagram. Either way, there's something for everyone. So take a little peek. And if you see something you like, I have a special offer code for y'all. 25% off site-wide. Just use the code OfficePolitics, one word. Again, whether it's a t-shirt, a book, something else, just make sure to save yourself 25%. You use the code OfficePolitics. And hey, do me a favor. When you buy your book or your shirt or you join the online community, please, please, please Give me a shout out on social media. I would love to start a conversation with you, see what you're learning, see what's working for you, and keep that dialogue going. All right, guys, back to the show. Well, what I would love to do next, Kristen, is we're going to do our industry rapid fire. So. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate uh, the sound effects. You know we are on a budget, so thank you. <laughs> so I can come the- back every week and just be in the background. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. <laughs> you know the Breakfast Club? Like, yeah. Drop on the clues bomb. Like, I want that. Like, <laughs> can you do that for me? <laughs> Listen, I'm not, you don't have to pay for that. So, no. <laughs> 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 That's fine. I'll have White Butler do it. So. Okay, so industry rapid fire, industry being entertainment, copywriting, scripts, Hollywood. What is the biggest misconception about your industry? Mm, that it's progressive. <laughs> Ooh, real talk. Yes. I mean, there are people in it who are progressive, but the industry as a whole is not. It's very, it's still, there was a study done by this group called Color of Change. Uh, I think they did it 2017 through 2018. And you can, it's online, but they did a study of 20, 
I think it was 26 crime-related scripted television series, both network and streaming. And they just showed, like, out of these 26 series, 81% of the showrunners were white. And yet, when you think of these series, so many of them portray Black people heavily, right? Like, as actors, like, in the storylines, um, you see a lot of diversity, but you aren't getting that same diversity behind the scenes. So the people that are writing the stories are not us. And the people who are running the shows are not us. I think it said like 81% of the writers too were white. 9% of those writers were black. And 20 of the 26 series had either no black writers or just one black writer. So what we may see on TV may look very diversified, but behind the scenes, who's telling the stories, who's deciding what these black characters are going to do is usually not us. So that is a truth bomb. So yeah, that reminds me, did you see, um, and don't worry, I'm not trying to get into like celebrity gossip and whatnot, especially because I know you have to like move within the space. But did you see how Amanda Seals came out and spoke more intimately about her experience on the real daytime talk show? And how she was not. going to do like the smart, funny, and black game show, like as a segment on the show. And they gave it to the one white producer. No and, way. Yeah. And she was like, um, we have like three other black producers. Why are they not producing this segment? And I suppose, you know, according to Amanda's story, the white producer said, well, so-and-so gave it to me and Amanda, you know, flagged it. Like we, we actually have other producers who can make this. And Amanda also tried to give her the benefit of the doubt. Like, okay, are you familiar with like the, the public figures I'll be talking about, the culture I'll be talking about, mm-hmm. music? you know, the answers basically. And the white producer said no. Um, and it was just, I just remember, <laughs> I don't know why I was shocked, but just thinking like, what the hell? Like you have black producers. Right. It's not right. black. Right, right, Yeah. So. No, that's, uh, that tracks. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm. Next question. <laughs> what is the least favorite part about your industry? That it is not merit-based or intelligence-based or effort-based. It is largely ego stroke based would you say um office politics mm, hey hey now ding ding Uh, ding ding ding. (laughs) um yeah i mean if it it was merit-based honey i would have been so far gone along you would have had the emmys yes but it's not it's not about that it's about you know it's 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 way more complicated and uh that can be the discouraging part if you're somebody who just likes to work hard and try hard and do 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 the damn thing and know you can do it but that doesn't that may pan out in most industries but not this honestly i would even dare to say i'm sure it is way more pervasive in entertainment but i think um i was talking with somebody who is a black leader in tech and like the idea of like failing up is 
like that that doesn't happen for us but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. johnny boy that can happen for him so oh johnny uh, boy <laughs> oh johnny boy <laughs> literally i don't think i've ever said that before he couldn't even be greg he's like oh johnny boy <laughs> johnny appleseed <laughs> just failing up johnny boy <laughs> oh Oh my god oh my god (laughs) follow-up question though (laughs) yes is there really any advice you can give to somebody who wants to be in entertainment and when i say advice more strategically like hey just be prepared that this is gonna happen or is there a way to kind of weave around any of the bs Mm. No, and I'm still learning. So maybe this answer will change. But I think if you know it's there, it's you're halfway there. You know, it's like uh, mm, I like that. Yeah. If you can prepare for it, if you can steal yourself for it, if you can. Can again, they always talk about thick skin, which I, I, yeah, yeah, I get it. But I also think that it's okay to have emotions and feelings and not completely lose sight of yourself and what you stand for while you're trying to work through this industry and not just put up with anything and for the sake of having thick skin. But um, I do think that. Having your having your line and knowing what that line is and being able to put up with as hard as it can be, put up with whatever comes close to it and just take it. Mm-hmm. But whatever crosses that line for you, then be prepared, then stand up for yourself and quit if it I mean I've done it. I I've done it. <laughs> and I mean it was not it was it was like supposed to be the job that was going to be the gateway to everything else for me in this industry and I was supposed to stay a year and I stayed for 6 or 7 months just because I I was like I'm not going to be talked to like this. I'm not going to be treated like this. I wouldn't do it in my real life. Why am I going to do it at work? Why am I going to cry every Sunday coming back here? This is dumb. Oof. Yep. Those Sunday and, scaries. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so I I quit. Did it set me back? Probably. I don't I mean, but I don't I don't have any regrets. And that boss, when he saw me years later, he was like, he knew he was wrong and he admitted it. And so I felt I didn't need I didn't need to feel justified, but I did. If it um, um if it is Somebody told me something and she goes, if it costs you your peace, the the price is too high. Yes. And that has always stayed with me. And I have never regretted, like, my last job that I left, I regret nothing. Even though I make half my salary right now as it stands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I love what you said. You figure out that line, that deal breaker. You work hard, but don't compromise your compass, your moral compass. Or your sanity. Um, 
What a novel idea. (laughs) (laughs) What is the best thing about your industry and uh, profession? Mm, That you can make someone laugh or cry or get angry or passionate or dream or whatever without them realizing it, without them thinking they're being anything other than entertained. You can make someone feel, you can educate them, you can do so many things um, just through telling a story. And I think that is incredibly beautiful and powerful and such a, such a treat to get really sucked into something and, and invested and also walk away knowing something that you didn't know before or feeling something that you didn't feel. And that's the bit, that's the best thing. Um, but also that cash, honey, <laughs> that shmoney, <laughs> that paper, <laughs> when you get in and that paper starts coming. Uh, yeah. That's also very nice. <laughs> that is very nice. Also, you're a part of SAG, right? Uh, Writers Guild of America is for writers. SAG is for their actors. Yeah. Oh, my bad. I'm learning. Thank you. You're learning. It's okay. <laughs> and finally, the last question while you are in the hot seat is, mm. what is the hiccup or failure you would never change about your journey or that you are most grateful for? The fortune cookie answer is all of them, right? Because. <laughs> Because who knows what would have happened without all of them. But, uh, and as we've seen through this conversation, like the worst things can be super beneficial. But I would say probably um, most immediately, I I remember when the Joe Coy show ended last year and I was heartbroken and I just thought, ugh, I was finally doing this and all these things happen and the show gets gets cut or whatever and two like it was just it was it happened so suddenly and was so devastating to me and I didn't know uh what was next and I remember driving through the desert just like in a total state of bewilderment and not knowing what to do Um, and they ended up, that was in May and they ended up bringing us back in August to sort of redo the pilot, maybe give it a second chance since everyone from the network had been fired and all this stuff, but, um, it ultimately didn't go. And, you know, the heart, the whole thing was really hard, but now I think, okay, let's say that had happened. Let's say that pilot had been greenlit and they'd say they said okay let's restart that would have been what september october no into the end of the year and i wouldn't have been free to do black lady sketch show like i would have already had a job i would have already been tied to something so i couldn't have had this opportunity and i was so grateful for the joe coit um job but this one, this one was meant for me to be at, if, if that makes sense. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you, Kristen. Before we let you go, I know people would love to know if you have any upcoming projects um, and where they can find you on social media. Mm. My upcoming project is to organize the desk uh, at my mother's house. I'll be working on that for a while. <laughs> um, Make sure you put that on IG Live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm working on my own things that hopefully I can pitch, fingers crossed. Maybe there'll be a follow-up next year and I'll have other things to talk about. We'll see. Woo. But, um, um, yes, I'm on Instagram. Listen, I don't... If y'all are looking for something that's popping and hot, my Instagram is not what it is. But I listen, there. she uses periods and no exclamation <laughs> points. I think that's the same energy you're bringing to your social media strategy. <laughs> but here's the thing: at least when you do post, it's fire. You know what I mean? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'll just be like. Look at this bomb-ass pasta I made. <laughs> LOL. Listening to Megan the Stallion. Like, at least uh, yours is interesting <laughs> when you do post. Well, yes. If you want some sporadic entertainment, <laughs> you can find me at bad underscore mother Tucker. That's with an M-U-T-H-A. That's it, people. That is our very first episode of Office Politics Podcast. Are you down with OPP yet? Yeah, you know me yet? Okay, well, if you forgot, I am Jasmine Reed Clark. You can totally follow me on Instagram. And if you loved our guest as much as I do, her name is Kristen Tucker, and you can follow her on Instagram. Catch her jokes on Black Lady Sketch Show. And of course... As always, I always want to hear your feedback. Leave a review, hit me up on Instagram, or check out some of my writing on BYOB Revolt. I have a whole column literally called Office Politics. Can't forget it. Have a great day.